Welcome to the Jackie Service Show. I'm Jackie Service, where we are talking all things people strategy, entrepreneurship, and how hiring the right humans will unlock the next phase of growth in your business. As a former corporate VP of HR, my life completely shifted when I learned I had a brain tumor. From this moment forward, I knew that there was more. I dove headfirst into healing, mindset work, and spirituality. And from this space, my entrepreneur journey was born. Now I am a people strategist and founder of Serve Recruitment Agency, a boutique recruitment firm that helps scaling companies hire aligned leaders for growth. In this podcast, I'm going to share about my business journey, entrepreneurship, leadership, and how hiring the right humans unlocks massive potential. Welcome to the show. Are you confused about hiring? You're not alone. Majority of leaders struggle to figure out who they need, in what roles, and when, and how these people will have the greatest impact on the growth of their business. This is why we created People Strategy Sessions to do a deep dive into your business and help you build a clear roadmap on the talent you need to drive sustainable growth. We dive into your greater why, where you are today in your business, where you want to go in your business from a growth standpoint, and ultimately, who do you need to enable that growth overall? For more information, please send an email to Jackie at JackieService.com or feel free to reach out at JackieService across all platforms. Welcome back to another episode of the Jackie Service Show. I am so excited to dive into this one and bring a new friend and founder on to share a little bit more about her journey and her background and to really open up some dialogue around what it takes to be a successful entrepreneur who's not only creating profitable profitable businesses, but creating sustainable businesses over time. So Tara, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to dive into this one. I was telling you offline that I feel like I went on a deep dive of just understanding your background and wanting to learn more about you with your bio. It was so fascinating to me, all the different chapters of your career path and what has led you to where you are today. So I'm wondering if we can start there. You just openly sharing a bit more about your journey and your story of what's brought you to today as the founder of Ethical Swag. Uh, sure. Um, yeah. What a path it's been. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's always a loaded question to start with, but we're going to go there because people love a good story. Yeah, no, I, I, I really, I don't think I fit a mold. I guess my mother would probably say I've never fit a mold. Um, she, she's often been quoted as saying, "There's a reason I'm the youngest." <laughs> she couldn't go and have any more after me because she was like, I, you know, I was all she could handle. So, I've always sort of looked at the world a little bit differently, and um, I, you know, even school. My, my father and mother, you know, they weren't, well, my father, actually, I went to my father's university graduation when I was two years old, and he didn't have me until in his 40s. So um, education was not something that they were able to do young. And so when I bucked it, um, when I was 19 and said, I'm going to move away and I'm going to go figure things out, they were like, they couldn't believe it. They were like, we are basically offering you an education because that is the the keys to the, your future and you're saying no. So I, I've always just, and I did get a university degree in the end. I just needed to um, spread my wings a little bit and learn a little bit and decide what it was that I wanted to do. And that's kind of always been my journey. I, I graduated from university and my husband and I, who he wasn't my husband at the time, um, he was my partner at the time, we moved to Vancouver where we had never been and never, uh, we didn't know a soul. We got in the car and drove and we ended up in Vancouver. And uh, I realized at that point, my career went really well. Um, and within three years, I was director of business development for a major sports organization that was, geez, when I think about it, um, there was over 350 million US spent in three years in the early 90s. 
with these startups that I call them, because uh, they were startups. We didn't have a playbook. We had a vision. And we built the first privately funded facility for an NHL team in, in uh, Canada. And we, um, I remember the owner of the Vancouver Canucks at the time coming into my office and saying, we need another major league tenant and the NBA is doing their first international expansion. I think we should go after an NBA team. So I was involved and co-wrote the bid for the NBA team and uh, no playbook for that one either. And um, then the owner of the Canucks was the original chairperson for the vision of the 2010 Winter Olympic Games in Vancouver. And of course, he came and knocked on my door again and said, okay, we think we're going to go after the Olympics. No playbook for that one either. So that's kind of been my career is taking vision and turning it into reality. Um, and I always wanted to do that uh, for myself. I just didn't know. I, I guess I'm not a, I, I didn't have the, the, the business that I wanted to do, the idea that I wanted to do. And so I just kept filing away over 25 years, the things I loved about business and the things I didn't like about business, knowing full well, at some point, I was going to create a business. And I was going to create my own recipe that had the good stuff and the not so good stuff. Um, and that's where I am today now after having worked for, uh, you know, government and crown corporation and tech startups and professional sports, almost every job I've ever had, um, I haven't applied for any jobs um, and none of them have had a playbook. Every job I've ever had has never existed before in my entire career, which is kind of bizarre. Um, but I just decided once I turned 50 and my kids were a little older, I was like, okay, now it's time to take all of that info that I've been gathering for the last 25, 30 years and start now layering that into what I think business, how business can really, um, be a vehicle for change. Mm, I love that. Isn't in some ways though, that the definition of entrepreneurship in, in quotes, there is no playbook, right? Oh. Like the fact that you had almost spent an entirety of your career, it sounds like with no playbook, no, here's the job description. Here's exactly what it looks like. Here's the proper onboarding. It was more this, Hey, we have this vision and we're trying to bring something to reality. And so figure it out a little bit of that energy, just in my experience, having come from over a decade in, in large corporations, and then the last seven years transitioning into building and running my own business. That's how it feels. It feels like all of the, you know, corporate jargon is essentially thrown out the window. And there's a little bit of grit and resilience and let's try it on and figure it out and keep the things that work and leave the things that don't type of energy that's really shown up which is one of the things I love most about being an entrepreneur. And I can see very clearly how that transition for you of that was almost your upbringing in business of not having roadmaps or plans. And now as you run your own business, I'm sure there's so many synergies or things that you've learned along the way that you can take forward. Totally. Totally. I, I think entrepreneurship is a mindset. Mm. And so you know, I was, I think I've always been an entrepreneur. I just didn't, I, I was spending other people's money, I guess, until now. You and I both, you and I both. <laughs> but it is a mindset, right? And it's, um, it's being willing to approach a problem with not knowing the answer and realizing, okay, I'm just going to roll up my sleeves and figure this out. Mm. And it's just a series of figuring it out. Like nobody actually has it figured out. And I think that I learned really sort of early in my career, even these big things that impact cities, um, countries, somebody started with an idea and they just figured it out. And I, you know, I, that's kind of what it is. And mm -hmm. some people do, do it better than others. And some people are, are more inclusive and some people think about others in different ways. And some people think, what's normal, I would scratch my head and say, I don't think that should be normal. I don't think that that's the way we should be, you know, operating this playbook. Um, I think there's a better way to do that. But also on the flip side, 
I've got to say, I've worked with some of the best um, and they've inspired me so much. Mm. Like back when we were doing the, the, the Canucks and it, the, the organization was branded Orca Bay Sports and Entertainment while I was there. So we had the NHL um, Vancouver Canucks. We had the NBA Vancouver Grizzlies. We had what was called General Motors Place at the time. We had, you know, TV, print. We had sponsorship. We had all kinds of different properties. There was a lot going on. Um, and we were all, I was in my 20s. The owner of the Canucks was in his mid-30s. Like, we were all quite young. We didn't have a lot of experience. It was a real sort of amazing energy. And all a lot of those people that I worked with went on, like Todd Lywicki was the chief operating officer of the NFL for years. Mm-hmm. Um, Tom Anselmi was the CEO of Maple Leaf Gardens and uh, involved with um, uh, Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, like I could go on and on. The people that we worked with, we were all like late 20s, early 30s doing stuff. And it was a really interesting time, but it was inspirational. Like they were amazing. And I was mentored by some of the most amazing people, even though they were only a few years older than me. And we were doing really neat stuff. Like we were thinking about the community and we were thinking about the impacts of the decisions that we were making. Um, and there was there wasn't the internet didn't even exist back then. So there wasn't like TED Talks on this stuff. Right. They were just doing it. Like, I remember we were so busy. Like, it was insane what we were doing. Like I said, we spent over 350 million US dollars in three years. Um, And I remember a nurse coming in to the owner of the Canucks, his name's Arthur Griffiths, and she pitched him on a hospice. And he came out of that meeting and he came into my office and he, he said we're gonna do a hospice <laughs> I just went oh god Arthur because every time he had an idea he'd seem to walk into my office and we're gonna do this and I was like oh I've got no more bandwidth we've got no more bandwidth he's like no this is important and we are going to use our platform to be able to do something for the community and figure it out and that was in the early 90s and Canuck Place still exists to this day and has impacted so many lives. And it could have been so easy to just say, oh God, Arthur, no. But, you know, it just got rolled into what we were doing and it became a part of our fabric. So, you know, I was really fortunate. And then I also worked in a very male dominated area and there was a lot of things that I was like, ooh, like where's the space for the women? Mm -hmm. And uh, why am I being paid less than the guys? And when I questioned it, uh, you know, they were like, oh, well, you know, that's just the way it is. I'm like, no. So I quit. And they were like, shocked. They were like, you, you're quitting? I'm like, yeah. You know, you have to pay me the same as that. And then they said, oh, okay, we'll pay you the same. And I said, no, too late. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right? Like there was that. So there was, I worked with some amazing people and they were doing some amazing things, but there was also things that I thought, eh, we could do better. Absolutely. Yeah. And let's, let's unpack that a little bit. I, I, as I've made transitions from kind of larger corporate environments to um, now running my own business, one of, one of the things I'm constantly questioning is these conditioned beliefs that are just out in our culture, right? So whether that business has to be done a certain way, or this is the only way to make money or the hustle culture that's really been kind of um, glorified in the last decade or so, uh, you know, and, and the question around, can you make a profit and also give back sustainably over time has been a question of mine in terms of building business and just the language that I heard for 12 to 15 years in corporate jargon and corporate environments where there was a quote unquote way we did things around here and to almost burn that all down and say, I am so grateful for the experiences and the connections and some of the leaders I got to work with very similarly. But as I build my own thing, what do I really want to be known for? What kind of culture and environment do I want to create? And who says, if I don't have like a a grandiose vision, that's maybe never been done before. Why can't we bring that to life? Why can't we do things differently? And I feel like that's something that's been so near and dear to your heart from all the information I've looked at 
which is as you've built ethical swag, it looks like you've been, you've been doing that in a way to be both profitable and sustainable over time to really give back to community, to your people, to really think about equity and even things like creating culture and ethical pay in your, in your structures. Before we get there, maybe let's just level set. Can you share like, what is ethical swag? What's a little bit of the foundational story of ethical swag? And then we can start to talk through how you built that and how some of these experiences in your past really led to you building the foundational blocks differently for your company. Absolutely. Yeah. Ethical swag. I think of it as a vehicle. Um, you know, we do sustainable promotional products. I knew nothing about the industry. I had no idea what vector artwork was when I started. I had no idea what the supply chain was. I knew nothing. I just saw a disconnect between what people were putting their logos on and what they said they stood for. And I was like, wow, can't be that hard. <laughs> and I was looking for a business and I am not Oprah Winfrey and I'm not Steve Jobs and like, I'm not going to create the next best amazing thing. And in hindsight, honestly, I'm actually really pleased I settled on ethical swag as my vehicle for change, because at the end of the day, if you can change the world by putting logos on pens, then you can do it with any business. Mm. Because we don't have any proprietary software. We don't have, you know, and what I'm ultimately trying to do is inspire the next generation of entrepreneurs to realize you can have profit and purpose in the same sense. And it doesn't have to be at the expense. And, and it's easy for people to look at like Patagonia, which is a great success story, but at the end of the day, they've been at it since the seventies and they've, you know, they've been very successful over a long, long period of time, which is really hard for a young entrepreneur that's in this hustle mindset that you were saying, like, oh, we got to hurry up. We got to do this quick. We got to make it happen. And, and actually the mentors and the business schools and everybody is actually pushing the timelines for what we perceive as success have shortened over my career and everything is faster and everything is expected quicker. And, and so you know, I'm looking at it going, well, no, like we have to, we have to really sort of address a lot of those things in business. And I'm really pleased that I'm doing it with a business that is really cool and really fun. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what your business is. That's my message. You can do it and you can impact lives because sustainability for us is not, you know, just environmental stewardship. Mm -hmm. Sustainability for us is how do you build a sustainable business? How do you consider the people within that business? Mm -hmm. How do you set a governance structure that ensures that the people working with you and for you are going to be taken care of in a way that's meaningful? That's what sustainability is for me. It's not how do we raise a bunch of money so that there's a few people that make a bunch of money when they get out quick and like, if a lot of people make a, if, if a short number of people or a small amount of people make a lot of money, somebody's lost money. <laughs> There's no, it's right. So it's like, well, I made, you know, 20 million or whatever. It's like, well, who lost 20 million? Cause I don't know that you actually, if what goes up must come down anyway. So I just, I feel like sustainability, I'm trying to define it as it relates to so much more than just climate and so much more than just even the people. It's like the longevity of the business and building a foundation. Um, and that sort of thing. So ethical swag, I don't know if I answered your question, but we are a sustainable promotional products company. We're a certified B Corp. Mm. Um, and there's not very many of us in our industry. I was going to say how many, I can't imagine that there are many in your industry. No. So there's over 25,000 promotional products distributors in North America. Wow. Um, I don't know the exact number, definitely under 20. Mm -hmm. out of 25,000. Wow. Um, and, you know, we have, there. there's a, a few of them that I, I, I hired one of them. <laughs> People would consider them a direct competitor, but I just have the attitude if my direct competitors, the certified B Corps that are in the promotional product, if they're successful, then that defines success for me. I like, I don't see them as competitors. So we actually collaborate, we talk, we share, um, because that's just the way we all approach business. It's, it's kind of fun. 
I love it. Some of my closest friends and people who I've built in business with do the exact same thing I do from a service standpoint. And the flip is when you see abundance and that there's enough for all, and we can all learn from one another, there's just a different vibrational energy that you can put out in the world in all honesty. And it feels in my opinion, after coming from what felt like a very results oriented competitive environment, it feels so much more natural to be collaborative for me and to recognize that there really is abundance and it's not a fighting for a piece because there's so much abundance in the world and we can serve so many more people if we come together is how I see it. The ripple effect can be so much greater together than individualized and compartmentalized when we think about businesses. Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. Um, that's how I feel as well. And let the market, that's what I love about business, let the market decide. Mm-hmm. I'm not worried. Like I had a colleague of mine saying, you hired your competitors and they know who your clients are. And, and I'm like, yeah. I'm like, if my client decides that they want to go with this other company versus us, well, then that's on me, not on them. Like we need to, you know, we need to do a good job and, and let the market decide where they want to spend their dollars. Um, For me, how can we harness that? You know, the dollar, you know, I, I, I looked at it and I did have, when I was trying to, I, you know, come up with an idea for a business, I had sort of my five things um, because what I really wanted to do was harness the buying power of some of the biggest companies into supply chains that had meaning. That was one of my key things. Um, and so, it you know, if my competitor is doing that, well, then that's success. And let's just make sure we're doing a good job. And then our customers aren't going to want to leave us, really. Exactly. I don't want to look over my shoulder. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And for those listening that may not have full depth and understanding about what a B Corp is and or the decision to become a B Corp, can you share a little bit more about that decision making and why you chose to become a B Corp? Yeah, great question, because a lot of people don't know what a B Corp is. Yeah, that's. I want to maybe dive in and, and give a bit more of a, a definition there for some. Yeah, so when we became a B Corp, there was only 3,500 in the world. So not a lot of them. Patagonia is a B Corp. Ben and Jerry's is a B Corp. Um, and, you know, there's some big guys coming in now. But, you know, at its basic level, it means that we've been audited to a global standard for sustainability. So I kind of call it the ISO of sustainability. Mm-hmm. So we have opened up and been completely transparent to be audited around key pillars Um, around governance, around community, around employees. And, you know, they've, they audit us to the effect of, do you listen to what your employees have to say and implement changes based on their feedback? And if you tick the box, yes, they're like, show me examples of emails, show me examples of where, when, how, you actually did that. So it's all um, it's all the things around sustainability. Um, and they you have to score a score um, in order to become a B Corp. It's exceptionally onerous. It is not for the faint at heart. It is not a certification that you can buy. It is a certification that you have to earn. And um, it's not for everybody. Because it is, you know, when you're trying to run a, a small business, there's this sort of pile of things, you know, accountabilities that you have to sort of report on and that sort of thing. For us, I felt it was exceptionally important. We were doing these things anyway, but we don't get to meet our customers, our business model and the way that I structured the business. I I knew that um, we wouldn't be meeting our customers face-to-face. And I was like, how do we make sure that they know that we are doing what we say we're doing? Because there's so much fake news and bogus reviews out there. How do you discern what's true and what isn't? Mm-hmm. Now in the world of AI, oh my God, I can't even imagine. So, you know, it it was a means for us to communicate to the world that we are who we say we are and we're doing what we say we're doing. It's a standard at the end of the day. It's here's the standard in which we 
aren't just, it's the practice, what we preach. I, I talk about this a lot because of the world of social media and what's out there. Sometimes I question, okay, how much of this is authentic and real? And is this scripted? Is this AI? Who am I actually talking to? All of those things that are going to really morph in the, in the next few years, not even decade. It's, it's so quick right now, how fast things are changing in the, in the environments. What I love about what you're saying is this just holds us to a standard and we have shown and been very transparent about how we operate within the walls of our environment to be able to adhere to the standard. And I love that, that that's something that you've, you know, really put the energy behind going against, as you said, it's not for the faint of heart and really decided that, no, this is a stamp for us to continue to showcase the world, our own employees and our environment, our clients, really who, who we are and, you know, what we do is actually right here for you. You know, we're really, we're really kind of owning who we are in that way. I'd love to pull up that a little bit more as you think about the foundations of teams. So a lot of what we do around here is really connecting incredible humans with growth-oriented companies, um, support building a lot of executive teams and leadership development once once individuals are in-house. I'm curious for you, as you transition, it sounds like you worked for really inspiring leaders. It sounds like you were in a, in a lot of different environments where you were obviously a peer and had to build with teams. As you built your own organization, what were some of the fundamentals around humans and teams and building culture that were really key for you as you thought about continuing to grow ethical swag? Yeah, wow, you really hit it because it's at the core of why I did it, Mm. honestly. Um, And oh my gosh, I wish I had hours because I could go on and on forever. Um, But for me, um, and I, you know, through my lens as a woman in business, I saw throughout my career, and it's got better, but I'll tell you, when I had my first daughter um, over 26 years ago, I'd be on the playground, and it was like a brain trust of brilliance that was being marginalized and left behind because they were choosing, They a lot of them wanted balance, but balance wasn't an option. It was, you had to choose your family or you had to choose your work. And I stood there and I was able, I was very fortunate and I carved out really meaningful work 27 years ago um, when I had my first daughter. And there was an envy that I would see amongst these professional, generally women at that time. How, like, aren't you lucky? You know, the internet wasn't a thing and email wasn't even a thing back then. And um, I was like, wow, how how is it okay to leave this brain trust out of the workforce because they have to have an all or nothing sort of. So that was one thing that I had filed away. So when I started Ethical Swag, every single decision I made was to allow a person to show up from work wherever they may be. Mm. I wanted to be able to hire for talent, not location. I wanted to be able to hire for, you know, if part-time is what you need, well, then we will create a part-time position. Um, And so I made decisions from day one, long before COVID, that every single technology decision I made had to be allowing my employee to do it from anywhere. That is music to my ears. (laughs) I'm like, I'm so glad that you even shared that this was well before COVID. People have maybe changed their tune now because in a lot of ways there was a force, almost a greater force that had us look at things differently. It forced a little bit of a flip the switch. I love the mentality that pre-COVID you were thinking about, how do I hire the best talent? Period. Period. There's There's no 12 other filters that also have to go in that sentence. It's not where they're located. They have to be here. They have to be of um, a certain amount of years of career. They have to live in a certain location. They have to be a mom or not be a mom, whatever, you know, and obviously those things aren't necessarily said outwardly, but if you look at some of the trends, like 
there has been historically gaps in females' businesses in their 20s, 30s, 40s as they're having families because there was almost a forced pause, you know, even as as frequent as like five, six, seven years ago. And now that we flip the switch to say, no, we actually can work from anywhere and you can just go hire the best of the best talent. I think people are starting to catch up to that philosophy, but your mindset of a leader of I'm hiring the best talent period is just music to my ear. It literally just opened up my entire heart. I'm so grateful that, that you chose to lead that way and really make a stand for that. It was, it, it was one of my key pillars. And so every single decision I made was ensuring that we could do that. And I'm really clear with my employees about where I stand and, you know, like I want them to show up as the, their whole selves. And if they're having a bad day, then you check out. Like when you show up to work, I want you to show up 100%. But if something's going on in your life and you can't show up, just put your hand up and say, you know what? Today's not a good day for me. Does somebody have my back? And let me tell you, <laughs> like one, one morning, this is way, way a few years ago, long before COVID. And I had, I got back from the gym. I work out in the morning and I had a message on my phone saying, can you cover for me for two hours today? A whole bunch of stuff happened last night. I've got to drive five hours. I've got, you know, I've got to get this and this and this and this, but if you could just cover for two hours for me. So I'm like, obviously they're awake, like seven o'clock in the morning. I phone up and I'm like, what is going on? She's like, okay, well, you know, my husband's flight got messed up and he's not well. And I got it. And like, she had to drive to an airport five hours away to get him and all this kind of stuff. I was like, so just take the day. And she's like, no, no, I can hotspot from my phone and I get like, she, I was like, take the day, <laughs> put on a podcast, go do what you need to do. And she's like, oh, thank you. But I tell that story because I'm like, wow, what an amazing commitment that that person had to our company, mm-hmm. that she had all these things going on, but she's like, how can I make it work without letting anybody else down on the team? And everybody shows up like that. Like everybody jumps in to figure out how they can help each other because you just create this environment where it's okay to have, like, we're, none of us are perfect and stuff happens on a day, on the daily. And, you know, I have another employee and her husband's was supposed to have a week off. So she had planned on having him doing a bunch of things with the kids. And at the 11th hour, his, his employer said, no, actually we need you at work. So their entire week went sideways. They had enrolled their daughter in, you know, a very expensive program, like a camp thing that they couldn't get their money back with, but she hadn't planned on taking her daughter to this thing because her husband was supposed to be off. She didn't even like, she just put a message in Slack and said, I'm going to be hard to reach this week. Something's happened. And it's like, that's fine. And mm-hmm. I find out after because her husband's employer pulled the carpet out from underneath him and he had to go back to work to do this thing and but she knew it's okay I can make this work (laughs) Mm. it sounds like you built a foundation of trust like where people can authentically show up as themselves and they can say what they need and mean what they say and it really feels like there's a culture of trust there that's just an observation looking from the outside in can you talk about that a little bit? Do you feel like within your environment, there's, there's truly a foundation of trust? And if so, how did you establish that? Like, what were some of the leadership beliefs or philosophies or mindsets that you have created this business around so that people can wake up on a Monday morning or late on a Sunday night and send a note to the team to say like, Hey, this has happened do you have my back or I need some support this week and people will all dive in. What do you think is, is kind of the root cause of some of that? So yes, uh, my goal is to have, I I come from a place of trust and I Mm -hmm. think this is another thing that I've put in my sort of, I'm not going to do that pile as I've sort of gathered things over the years. So I think business comes from a place of distrust. They don't trust you. (laughs) That's, that's the default. 
And I very consciously, just like I very consciously said, I want to hire talent in that location. I very consciously said, I will trust until you give me a reason not to. So our default is trust. And we are very much a compliant-based sort of culture versus a permission-based. Mm-hmm. I don't want to tell you how to do your job. I don't want to tell you what you can and not, cannot do. We work really hard to define what success looks like. And then I allow the employees to navigate that. Mm. When you say you define what success looks like, is that holding the vision? Is that, what does that mean to you? Yeah. So it's, you know, I use an old analogy. Oh my God. Years and years ago, when I was doing the Olympic bed, I had my assistant come into my office and she goes, oh my God, Tara so-and-so just offered us like this amazing thing. And I can't remember what it was, but she went on and on. She was so excited. And I just looked at her, I said, no. And she said, what do you mean? No. And I said, it's the middle of winter. It's freezing cold. You're, you know, finding the days long and dark. And somebody just offered you a all expense trip paid, uh, all expense vacation paid to Florida. And it sounds really good, but it's actually not getting you any closer to where we're going. She's like, I don't understand. And I'm like, we need to make decisions. We have a finite amount of time. We have a very clear goal. And you can only come into my office with ideas that are going to get us closer to our goal. Mm -hmm. And an all expense paid trip to Florida is not going to get us closer. At the time we were in Vancouver and I used the analogy Florida and I said, we're on our way to Toronto. (laughs) So I said, if you can get me to Calgary or Winnipeg or, you know, then come in. And so she'd come into my office. She's like, you know, another time. And she'd be like, ah, da, da, da. And then she'd sort of stop herself. She'd go, okay, we're going to Toronto. No, yeah, no. And she'd walk out. And she'd then learn which opportunities made sense and which didn't. Because I clearly defined Toronto as our destination. So within Mm. ethical swag, we clearly define what success looks like. And that is, um, you know, very clearly, we're all about meaningful work. We're all about thinking about our suppliers. We're all, and profit's absolutely important. We talk about where we, where our numbers are. We're very transparent with the team and that sort of thing, but it's not at all costs ever. So one of the things that we love to, uh, like I told my very first employee and it now gets repeated all the way through is it's okay to fire clients. If a client is asking for something that's not right, that doesn't align with who we are, it's okay to fire them. It's okay. I feel like you should just start clapping. Like, I feel like the people listening are going to (laughs) be clapping. There's so many things. There's so many like mic drop moments in this podcast, you know, way back at the beginning, I heard you talk about things like imposter syndrome and then equity and pay, and then how you're building your business. And this is another one of those moments where it's okay to fire your clients. I had to fire my first client two years ago when I was stressed out about it. And the minute I did it, the amount of relief and freedom that came in the, in the space that was created because it was no longer in alignment with kind of core values and how we were building our business just unlocked a whole other level and built a level of trust within my own team to say like, all right, we really are standing for what we, what we say we're standing for. And here we go. We're not allowing that energy into our business. And so that's just, I love that. Thank you for saying that it's okay to fire clients. Absolutely. And and I say to the team, I'm not going to agree with everything you do, but you're empowered to make decisions and we can unpack it later and you can unpack it with somebody else on the team or just know that you can tap a peer on the shoulder and say, I'm thinking this, what do you think? And I encourage that. And it's a very flat organization. I don't want... I don't want to make decisions. I had somebody come to me yesterday and say, I'm having trouble with this. I'm like, okay. And I didn't solve it. And I could have solved it and it would have been easier. I just coached to say, think about this, talk to another person, you guys figure it out. Mm -hmm. And that's building resilience, but also I'm giving them my trust and saying like, I trust you to make the right decision. And even if you don't make the right decision, that's okay too. Like, I don't have to agree with everything that you're doing. Uh, We can talk about it after and we can say, oh, was there another way to approach that? Or maybe we could have done it differently or like, but you know, I say all the time, nobody died guys. Like we're selling pens with logos. Like let's Mm -hmm. not take ourselves too seriously. You know, 
we take what we do really seriously from a bigger picture. But if all of a sudden an order, if somebody tries really hard and, you know, FedEx, there's a snowstorm and they don't get it in time for their event or whatever, I'm like, guys, like we can't control everything. We did our best. Mm -hmm. We stand behind what we do. We give a lot of refunds, no questions asked. I don't even know all the refunds that go because my team's empowered to do that. If you think that's the right decision to make for a client and just do it, Mm -hmm. we'll figure it out. Mm, I love that. I love that. And I need to circle back on one of the things you said earlier, because it was part of your story of leaving a job because there wasn't equitable, equitable pay structures as a woman. How have you been mindful about building equitable pay in your own organization, having lived through an experience where as a female, an executive female, you were paid less than everybody else sitting around the table? I ask, and this is so near and dear to my heart because I had the exact same experience as my kind of first head of HR job with a big corporation. And I realized around the table, I was significantly the lowest person paid both for age and for being a female. So I'm really curious about how that's then pulled forward as you have built your own business. Absolutely. So for me, when, uh, like I knew I was getting paid less, okay? Um, I had no experience. I was in my 20s. I had never done any of this stuff before. And I was like, okay, all these guys have experience. So I get it. So I waited until I had a whole bunch of success. And I walked in and said, okay, now I've proven myself. So I, I, I didn't, just because I'm a woman or I'm in this position, I was like, okay, I get it. Like these guys, they came from the Commonwealth Games. They came from Expo 86. They came, like, they've got a whole lot of experience. I was mm-hmm. like still in high school when they were doing this stuff. I get it, Right. But once I racked up on my successes, I went in and said, now, at what point does experience trump or does performance trump experience? And they never thought in a million years that I would resign. So they just said, oh, like, you're good. So I resigned. And I'll never forget it because um, I was, uh, it was Todd Lewicki um, and he couldn't believe it when I resigned. And we had a great relationship. And he came into my office. He's like, I'm sorry, I'll give you. And I'm like, no, you're too late, Todd. I'll never work for you again. You're done. And we laughed about it. But I said, I'm going to stay for the next three months because we were like, we had some projects to close up and it was all very amicable. And uh, I was like, this will never happen in any company that I've, I, I start. And I'm very conscious of, pay. and we're just very transparent. People know what I make within the company. Mm-hmm. People know what everybody, you know, like, it's just, it's a transparency that we have. Um, and I, have I got it all figured out? No, not necessarily. I'm still trying to, and, and like, I, do we have to have it all figured out? No, but I think we have to be equitable and we have to be transparent and we have to be sort of vulnerable on it. Like I, I've never run a company before. I just know that I don't want to make the same mistakes. Yeah. And, you know, Todd and I had a great relationship after when I had my first daughter. Oh, my God, the stuff, the, the gifts that he sent me. And, you know, like we had a great relationship. I just said, I'll never work for you again. He's like, I messed up. And by the end of it, by, I was there for three months when I was leaving. He's like, I'll give you 20 percent more than what you asked for. And I was like, no, you blew it. And we had so we still, you know, I haven't seen him in years, but we would probably still laugh about it. You know? mm. I think that's it, though. Like it's. and And. One, just, I want to acknowledge you for actually standing in that, right? Like, no, I'm not going to continue to come into the organizations that almost like hold the carrot or dangle the carrot or kind of string people along. It's like, no, you've already shown me your cards, right? I asked for something. It wasn't delivered. There was kind of no acknowledgement of it at the time. And so you've shown me that, okay, now I'm going to go create or go and do something differently. That's actually going to support me from a value standpoint, but you're right. I don't know that we none of us have it. What is figured it out really at the end of the day? What does that mean? It's all these lived experiences that we've had as founders and as women leading businesses where we've pocketed away different experiences and said, okay, when I have an opportunity to create my own business, these are things I'm going to remember. Maybe things that I'm going to bring forward or things that I'm going to be mindful not to be the Achilles heel in my business because I had a lesson that you know, created some pain for me when I lived that, that experience. And 
I love that. First, thank you for sharing that story because I do think whoever's listening, if they're in a similar environment, they can learn a lot from taking that stand and holding true to their own values and making sure from an integral standpoint, if something feels misaligned, that we start to listen to those cues and really take a stand for ourselves as we move forward. Yeah, thank you. And and I think it's important to remember, like, you have to be respectful. Yeah. <laughs> and you have to understand, like, I'm hoping Todd learned something from it, too. Mm. We maintained a fabulous relationship. I wasn't resentful. I, I was like, oh, well, you know, like, oh, well, you know, I, I had enough confidence to say, I'll go and get it somewhere else. You know, I'll, I'll go get another position. And, you know, and long story short, I ended up going back. Mm-hmm. after a while and I said I'll never work for you and I worked for somebody else within the organization <laughs> and it was just it was a really funny sort of I'd love to actually catch up with him now and say did did that sort of did you take something away from that experience too but there was I feel like that we polarize people today and there's there's right and there's wrong and there's no gray and like I think Todd was doing his best and other people were doing their best and I was doing my best and we were in that situation. I was just like, well, I'm not going to stand for it mm-hmm. and surprised him. And it wasn't your bad. You should be doing things differently. It was just like, oh, well, do you know if that makes any sense? I, I hear so, you. I hear you. And so I just think that's the important part. I didn't go in with an expectation that I should be paid. A, like I was like, oh, well, I don't have any experience. But then when I was I proved my worth. Then I was like, okay, I do have an expectation. And if you can't do that, okay. It doesn't mean I have to break down that relationship. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Do you, I'm curious now in your environment with ethical, ethical swag, do you, have you built one? I heard transparency, but have you built compensation models off of performance where results matter and performance matters or how have you built that model of one being transparent, but two making sure that um, things like performance are being recognized within your environment? We're still working that stuff out. Yeah, um, we're a small team. There's just thirteen of us right now, um, so we haven't. I haven't figured all that stuff out. But to go back to circle back to your comment about trust, the team trusts that nobody is trying to pull something over on anybody else. Mm. They trust that I'm coming from a place of let's figure this out. You know, I had one of my employees at one point where cash flow was like, just, it was a timing thing. She's like, yeah, we were, my husband and I were going to do this thing, but I told him we shouldn't because I might have to take a pay cut. (laughs) I was like, oh my God, like never happened. But the fact that she didn't even like, she just, if she had to, for a few months, she would have. Mm. Um, and I think my team trusts me that as we are successful, they will be successful. I'm not going to hoard it. I'm not going, even though we don't have anything written down because we're figuring it out as we go. Um, I think trust is just such a great thing when you have it. Um, and we really, I, I would suggest have it in spades and ethical swag. Um, that's my sense. Um, Mm. and yeah, we're just, we're just really open about it. Um, and so far it's, it's going really well. You know, there's, we've set priorities. Like one of the priorities was making sure we had a a comprehensive health benefits plan. And so I'm like, okay, guys, like we're putting a comprehensive health benefits plan in for everybody. It means that, you know, our, and we still had sort of increases last year with inflation and everything else. But I'm like, I'd love to give more, but right now health benefits for everybody is going to be more important. And they're like, yeah, we're in. Some people didn't need benefits, their spouses or partners had it or whatever, but everybody was like, yeah, this is the right thing to do. And we kind Mm -hmm. of, if that makes any sense. Yeah. I love that. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. I love just the transparency within this conversation. It's just showing a lot about who you are as a human. And I can, I can imagine who you show up as, as a leader. Um, I get the sense that you are who you are and there's no, there's no Tara as leader, Tara at home as mom. It's just, this is who we get. And, and I love that so much about you. I'm curious as we wrap up here today, if you were to go back and Think about advice you might give yourself as you started this business or even in business. And we're talking to 
maybe a group of younger entrepreneurs who were just getting started. What's a piece of advice that you would give them to create? I'm going to use the word sustainability. And I mean that in the context of what you shared, things like longevity and sustainability from employee standpoint, sustainability, which can also mean profit with a purpose. I'm curious how, what advice you would give them. Um, don't listen <laughs> to the people telling you it has to be a certain way. Because I feel like that's the mentorship and that's the coaching and that's what the incubators and like, I was told I was wrong, but I had 30 years of experience and I had enough confidence and, you know, experience to know that, okay, what I'm doing is different, but it's not wrong. And so I truly believe sustainability is the thing. Sustainable sustainable business is the thing that's going to get us through all of the roller coasters that we're going to hit. You know, we we more than double sales during COVID when every meeting and convention was canceled in the world and you know all that sort of thing. Like it builds resilience when you stay true to the core principle of sustainability as far as I'm concerned. And sustainability became pretty popular during COVID, but we, you know, Ethical Swag was established in 2010. It was a lot, a long time ago. So uh, we were kind of ahead of it then, but I would say use your moral compass. And if it's right, if it, then do it. Even if somebody tells you it's not right and don't get caught up in what everybody else is doing. <laughs> Do mm -hmm. what's right for long-term and for sustainability and your business and you will benefit and sort of don't listen to people that tell you that that's not the right way to do it. I love this so deeply. I could talk to you for hours, your philosophy and how you think, how you show up as just Tara and how you bring forward, you know, different philosophies from your background to really create ethical swag and what is a, you know, company that is, is sustainable and does believe in profit and purpose is incredible. So I can't thank you enough for taking the time to be on the show today. If somebody wanted to learn more or get in touch with you, what are some of the best ways that they can find ethical swag, they can partner with you, or they can get in contact with you directly? Uh, so I'm on LinkedIn as Tara Milburn, um, Ethical Swag. We are Instagram, Facebook, um, and our websites, uh, both Canada and the U.S., ethicalswag.com and .ca. Um, and so, you know, there's all kinds of ways to find us. Just Google Ethical Swag and we will pop up and we'd love to hear from you. And uh, and yeah, no, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, meeting you and chatting with you today. Thank you so much. We'll make sure that we link all that up in our show notes. So if you're looking for ethical swag, you don't have to go far. Just check out the show notes. Everything will be there in order to find both Tara and the company. But thank you so much for your time, for your knowledge, and just your expertise of what it's felt like to make that transition into the founder seat and how you've made choices to do things differently. So I appreciate you so much. And we'll see you next time on The Jackie Silver Show. Thank you for listening in to today's show. If there was a key message that landed with you, please share or send us a direct message on Instagram at Jackie Service and let us know. We love hearing from you. Also, to continue to keep this podcast growing, it would mean the world if you could take a minute and like and rate the show or share it with a friend. Our team is forever grateful. Until next time, we'll see you again on the Jackie Service Show.